This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's the latest ammunition in a long-standing debate. The issue is Pharmacare, universal drug coverage. Canada is the only industrialized nation with a single-payer system, Medicare, that does not have this. One in 10 Canadians don't fill their prescriptions because they can't afford it. Now, a new study shows that providing universal coverage for about 100 commonly used drugs um, would save Canadians and private drug plan sponsors more than $4 billion a year. This study is just published in the Canadian Medical Journal, and I have Dr. Steve Morgan of UBC on the line. Hi, Dr. Morgan. Hello there. So uh, tell us what you found. Sure. What we did is we looked at um, the option of, of beginning to develop a universal pharmacare program in Canada by doing something relatively simple. We s- suggested that what if the governments of Canada expanded existing public drug plans by providing universal public coverage of what are known as essential medicines, medicines that have been chosen because they represent uh, safe, uh, clinically effective treatments for priority health care needs in the country. And we thought, what if you just layered that universal coverage of these medicines on top of the existing systems of private and public drug plans that are in place and use the universality of coverage as a, a mechanism for being a single payer for those drugs and therefore actually having the purchasing power of a, a truly national plan uh, for for these essential medicines, and that's where we found the savings. And uh, you've already mentioned that you know the private sector would save uh, 4.3 billion dollars roughly per year, at a cost to governments of only about 1.2 billion. So in essence, it's a four to one return on investment uh, in terms of what Canadians would would stand to benefit financially, and also it's a major expansion in, in the accessibility of medicines in this country because the gaps in our current patchwork system of private and public drug plans are um, they're unprecedented in comparable health systems. Okay. Uh, I mean, some of these numbers are staggering uh, in terms of the purchasing power. Now, I can understand arguments that say uh, Canada is, you know, it's a, a small player and that's why it's more expensive. But then you look at New Zealand. New Zealand pays 84% less. Sweden pays 60% less. And uh, U.S. Veterans Affairs pays 47% less for drugs because they have that purchasing power. Yeah, and I think what Canadians need to understand is that this is because in those systems, they run uh, national systems for procuring medicines on behalf of their populations. Those uh, purchasing or procurement systems involve a number of important things like contracts, 
to make sure that the supplier of the medicine is actually going to deliver the medicines that your country needs. But they also have competition. You compete, particularly for the supply of generic drugs. They, the manufacturer has to compete and, and provide the best price in order to win the, the contract for that country. And that's good for manufacturers that provide the best prices because then they get the, the exclusive revenues of that marketplace. In the Canadian context, we don't have that in our public or private systems. But interestingly enough, our pharmacies kind of do something similar. Generic manufacturers of medicines in Canada do compete in order to be the generic um, supplier for big chain drugstores. And the chain drugstores require those generics to pay them very significant rebates. Recent R Radio Canada in, uh, results suggest that you know, rebates of 50, 60, or even 70% are common for high-volume generic drugs in Canada, but the consumer doesn't get that savings. It goes to the pharmacy. Okay, yeah, that's uh, interesting. That's very interesting. Now, we have something of an of an initiative for bulk buying. I think it's called P-Coder. Uh, what about that, and why isn't it working better? Oh, so we, we do have a system of the provincial drug plans, and now recently the federal drug plan, uh, engaging in joint negotiation of of drug prices, particularly for patented brand name drug prices, through what's called the Pan-Canadian Pharmaceutical Alliance. And that is a very good step forward in terms of the, the existing drug plans in this country deciding that they're going to work together and negotiating. But there's a couple of problems with it. One is that in no province is the public plan even the majority payer uh, in the marketplace. Um, many, in many jurisdictions in Canada, public programs account for less than 40% of all prescription purchases. And so as a consequence, even if you win the contract for the public plan, it may not much matter uh, if you uh, don't have sales in the private market or vice versa. If the private market is willing to pay for any medicine, no matter what its price is, then the public payers don't have as strong a negotiation power as they would if they were the only payer on the market. So in essence, what we would suggest is that for this limited set of medicines, just over 100, use that structure. Use the, the pan-Canadian pharmaceutical negotiation structure, but once it's agreed upon, at, uh, once the manufacturers agreed to a price, you, you provide it for everybody through a, a public payer. And that gives them the buying power they need to get the prices that are lower, but also to give the manufacturer the reward for pricing competitively. Okay, I'm going to give the numbers out again. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. We're talking about a new study which shows that it would really be worthwhile to have a national pharmacare system. And Dr. Morgan, I want to ask you, so here in Ontario, we do have a system for seniors, for people who are over 65, where they pay a deductible. The deductible, um, I, I don't remember the number because I know it's going up, but I'm not sure when. I believe it's going up to about $175. Uh, we do have to look that up. And after that, uh, they pay a maximum of $6 for a prescription. So does that help things or get in the way of things? No, that, that would actually continue to exist for all medicines that are not on this essential medicines list that we looked at. What we're trying to understand in the Canadian context is, 
can we build on existing public drug plans in a pragmatic way to finally make mo- some forward motion here? And, and just for the, your listeners, it's important to recognize that dating all the way back to the 1960s and the Royal Commission on Health Services that laid the blueprint for Canadian Medicare, it was recommended that Canadian Medicare begin with hospital insurance, then expand to medical care provided by doctors, and then it was to expand to include prescription drugs, eventually dental, and home care. We never got past the doctors and hospitals, um, but it has been long recommended. So by taking the step forward with a limited number of drugs, we can layer on to the existing benefits that seniors might have in Ontario or that people might have if they're on social assistance and just begin to fill the gaps by essentially bulk buying the most important medicines for all citizens. And you're suggesting that if uh, we use the system that's already in place, it wouldn't require a whole new bureaucracy or anything like that? Not at all. This is something that could absolutely leverage the existing uh, administrative infrastructure within our provincial and territorial drug plans. It could also be something that was coordinated at a, at a central level through an agency or an organization like the Pan-Canadian Pharmaceutical Alliance that does already exist. And so as a consequence, it, it not only will reduce uh, the prices of medicines because you'll be purchasing in bulk, but you would possibly even reduce the administrative costs because then you, don't, you no longer have to have uh, 13 different levels of government negotiating for these particular drugs. You'd have one national agency doing it. Hmm. Uh, is part of the reason that we pay so much here because we're next to the United States where the prices are really crazy? Well, it's certainly the, tr- the, the case that the United States has the highest drug prices in the world, but it's certainly also not the case that you can't get good prices in North America just because of that. And in fact, the, the U.S. national system for veterans is a demonstration case that shows in North America, a universal public system can, in fact, get good prices and use good evidence in de- determining which drugs to cover because the U.S. government does this for its veterans. And for its veterans, it gets uh, prices that are on generics, as we mentioned, about 47%, nearly half of what we pay uh, for generics. And even on brand name drugs, the drugs that the manufacturers most want the prices to be high for, the U.S. government for its veterans is able to negotiate prices that bring their brand name prices, at least for these essential medicines that we looked at, to about 40% lower than our prices here in Canada. So it's a, it's a demonstration case that you can do this, but you just have to have a system in place that says, if you price competitively for us, we will give you the entire market. We'll give you the market for all Canadians in our context, or you'd give the market for all veterans in the American context. Now, I'm surprised that the private sector, you know, the people who pay for the drug plans that, you know, employed people have, I'm surprised they aren't lobbying for this. Yeah, and there has begun to be some uh, some more interest in a universal public plan amongst the private sector employers in Canada. We saw here in British Columbia last summer a motion at the the British Columbia Chamber of Commerce that was uh, passed and supported by the Chamber of Commerce for BC that said that it supported the idea of a universal public drug plan because employers uh, don't feel it's their competency to manage the drug benefits of, of, of their employees. And in particular, 
they realized that for many small and medium-sized businesses, which are the source of most employment growth in Canada, it's too difficult for them to afford uh, private drug plans for their employees. And it would be better for them in terms of labor competitiveness if all Canadians were uh, guaranteed at least some minimum level of public drug coverage so that you wouldn't have to pick the place that you work based on the level of extended health insurance that is offered because that results in everybody working for government, which typically does offer extended health, or for large corporations that might be lucky enough to be able to, to afford uh, those drug plans. Okay, uh, let's go to the phones. We've got uh, Nick in Oakville. Hello, Nick. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Not bad. Uh, listen, we have Crown Corporations, like for the post office, and we used to have Canada where we built our own jets. Why don't we have a Crown Corporation that ma- and we manufacture our own drugs? Because we're already subsidizing universities and hospitals and big pharma with money to do research. Why don't we just form our own drug company and sell our own drugs? Yeah. And sell them around the world and have the, the, our, you know, the people of Canada benefit. We have a few big drug companies here, do we not? Yeah, we do. We actually, Canada has, is, is home to a number of large generic manufacturers who do export their medicines around the world. We're not home to any of the major multinational brand name manufacturers of medicines, and, and we haven't been for many decades now. Um, People have made the argument about whether we need a crown corporation to produce medicines. I'm of the view that what we really need, first of all, is to ensure that we we live up to our obligations as a country, and and that is obligation to make sure that everyone has access to the care that they need at a a price that is affordable both to the patient and to society. And and that means that we need uh, essentially the crown corporation or, or some form of national organization to define the drugs that everyone will be covered for and then find the financing mechanism to cover them. Um, I do know that if you look internationally at some of the best performing pharmaceutical systems within the context of universal public health care systems, you do find that they all uh, have the equivalent of something of a national body to manage which drugs will be purchased and which drugs will be provided to all citizens. But none of them, interestingly enough, run public drug companies. Instead, they use the forces of private competition in the pharmaceutical sector um, and, and the purchasing power of a single payer as, the, as a combination that, that gets them the desired outcomes, and that is, gets them a competitive supply of medicines. Yeah, and, personally, and, I would be nervous about the government getting into yet another business. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, at some level, we'd like them to get into the business of assuring that Canadians yeah. can fill the prescriptions they need. Right. But whether or not those are prescriptions manufactured uh, here in Canada, down in the United States, off in Europe or in, in Asia, that probably doesn't necessarily uh, matter as much, just so long as it's the right drug and, uh, and it's provided with the right kind of supply contract, you know, well, appropriate safety, etc. Well, um, thanks very much, Dr. Morgan. That's a very interesting study. And I have to say, uh, the one thing that's really surprised me in it was uh, that the federal government would only have to pay uh, one point some odd billion dollars, you know, for uh, government spending. That's kind of chump change. So... Yeah, I it, know. Is, uh, it is. What one of the things here is that if we just reorganized how we paid for things, and I think had a, a meaningful injection of federal funding, um, it's a wonderful opportunity for the federal government to transform healthcare for the better, to increase access to medicines Canadians need, and interestingly enough, pay huge dividends uh, to Canadians across the country in terms of private sector savings. 
Okay, Dr. Steve Morgan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Bye-bye. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.